good to be with you this morning, friends. Thanks for being here. So this week, my wife came up to me, and she says to me, can I have a, a table from church? And immediately I said, whoa. Because if you've been around a church at all, you know one of the most sensitive issues is what? The use of church property for personal benefit, for personal use. You want to you wanna get people stirred up at church? What do you do? You ask to borrow the tables and the chairs. Man, there's like an old tizzy, right, that breaks out. And so immediately when she says to me, can I use, have a table at church to use? And I said, whew, I don't know about that. What are you going to do with it? And she says, well, I'm going to put it over there, and we're going to keep it for a couple of years. We're going to use it for school. So okay, man, I don't know. And I said, I think we better ask somebody about that. I think we better talk to somebody uh, because we're starting to push the pastoral exemption for personal use kind of to the limit here. You know, there's, there's sort of this understanding that if, if pastor wants to kind of need something for, from the church, we can, we can put it and we'll just put it back and nobody will really notice because we're the only ones who know what's going on around here anyway. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true, but it feels like that, right? Uh, and so nobody really notices that I've already got a table in my house. Nobody said anything about it, but, but maybe, maybe before we take more, we better ask. She says, so who are we going to ask? I said, well, I suppose we could ask Charlie. Charlie's not going to tell me no. <laughs> Charlie never tells anybody no. It, it, was a, it was a fun fun conversation. You could tell, though, that I'm sensitive right now, or I'm a little bit cautious about using the, the church's property for, for personal use. And, and more, I'm concerned, I'm sensitive that maybe we, we don't have uh, a system, you know, we don't have all the people in place to make sure we use resources well. That's what we want to talk about today. Uh, that's what we want to take a look at here today as we look at this story of Ahab and Jezebel and Naboth. We are looking this summer at stories of famous failures, the Old Testament stories of famous failures. And I want to get one little thing out of your mind maybe before we even start today, uh, and that's this. You maybe have, have um, when, when you look at this story, you might quickly think, Oh, that's something that happens in Russia, right, or in China, or in Saudi Arabia, or perhaps it happens in Washington, D.C., or, or even forbid it happens in Lansing, but it doesn't happen to me. It doesn't happen in, in my life. And I, I can tell you, if you've been part of a volunteer, say, sports league, if you work in a business, if you've been part of a homeowners association, or, or you've been part of a church, or you're even part of a family, you've dealt with this. And what is that? Uh, it's corruption. You've seen corruption up close. Let's just look at the story, short and quick. We're still looking at Elijah, the same man that we looked at last time. Elijah is in basically the same situation in, in life, but the queen at the time issues a command to get a, a, a false edict, right, a lie, to get a landowner killed. And then she uses the legal system so that he is killed and then has his property taken. And you might look at that and think, that doesn't happen to me in my life. But I, I bet you've had people in your life tell a lie to somebody else, and because of that, then you or somebody you know gets taken advantage of. And if you've had that happen to you, 
you've experienced corruption. So that's what we want to look at this morning. What corruption is, the, the, cu- the cost of it, right? The cause of it and the cost of it, and then the cure for it. Those things. Let's start with what corruption is. When you look at this story, you see two things that tell us about corruption. First, there's the personal side. Look at the queen. The queen, she's a piece of work, isn't she? She, she makes up a lie, a false edict, you could say. It's, it's not just that she lies, but she makes it a, a public lie, a declaration. She makes a false declaration about this man, and then it passes through two groups of people, through the elders and then down through the nobles of the city. Then there's the elders, the nobles of the city. They not only accept the queen's false declaration, but they enforce it. They pass a false judgment on the queen, on this, on Naboth. Then there's the executioners. They enforce this false judgment. Then there is the people of the city. They don't stop it. They're standing there the whole time. Right. When you had in the ancient world, when you, when you had an execution like this take place, it was public. It, it wasn't private. Everybody in the city was out there watching Naboth get stoned. And, and then lastly, you have these two men. They're called the scoundrels. Do you like that? You ever you call somebody scoundrels? There's these two scoundrels. The funny thing is, is in, in the Hebrew, the original, these men, they're, they're called two, use, two sons of uselessness. They're just useless people. <laughs> and they agree to publicly tell the lie. Those are the people in this story. Now, you know, I look at this story and I think, I want to think that people are generally pretty good. You know, I would like to imagine that most of the people that I know want to tell the truth. They want to be honest. They want to be reliable. Even if they're not hardworking, they... They think that they should be at least, right? Or they have their own version of hard working. So I look at this story and it's, but then I think, these are just not good people, you know? Uh, it's hard to imagine that they are, are good people making just a one-time bad choice. These are just bad people, aren't they? I, I don't see how you can look at this story and think, these are some, some good people. They're, they're just not they're just bad people. So that's the first thing that you see in, in corruption, that these are just some, some bad people. Now there's a, a man, he's an interesting man, his name is Brian Kloss, Brian Kloss, and he likes to research, he decided he wanted to research for his life broken systems. He had this really interesting realization, and it's one that I bet many of us had. He, when he grew up, uh, he decided he wanted to go to sub-Saharan Africa and the Middle East and East, Southeast Asia, all these places where he thought he'd find broken systems. And he was floored because the more he looked into these systems, he came back and he said this as, as he looked into it. He said the more he looked into him, he came back and he realized, check this out, right? He realized that the people around him even though his research began with former dictators, right, and so on, the people who would, are, were around him when he would describe these encounters, they would say that the personalities 
were just like the sports coaches around them or the guy who runs their homeowners association. Right? You see what he's saying? So here's a guy who's, who's spent his time, he's gone all over the world and he's researched broken, failed systems. He talks to CEOs of corrupt businesses. He talks to dictators. He talks to mob leaders and mafia leaders, gang leaders. So he knows what corrupt systems look like. And you know, it's, he, he said, it's easy to think it's all out there. And then he started coming back and talking to normal people about their lives. And they said, that sounds a lot like the coach of my kid's soccer team. <laughs> you know, that sounds like my manager at work. That, that sounds like the guy who runs my homeowners association. He, he, he noticed that there are three personality traits that people who are, are these sorts of corrupt individuals have. They're strategic, they're narcissistic, life is all about them, and they have, they have psychopathic tendencies. They lack a, a moral conscience. They lack that moral ability to connect with people. These are, it's just hard not to look at these people, it's hard not to look at them and say, they're just bad people. So that's the first part of this corruption, right? There, you've got these, these corrupt people. And then the second thing about it is you have the system. The system. Now, and I know some of us, right, that's a hard thing to say. It's hard to imagine that this system is just a bad system. But false declaration. The queen makes this false declaration, and, and it gets passed through all of the people, don't, doesn't it? The, the elders and the rulers of the city, it's their job to investigate these claims. But when the claims come, they don't correct them or change them. And then they pass a false judgment. This judgment against, the, uh, the, against Naboth, they also pass this false judgment, and that gets carried out by the executioners, and the people of the city support it. Man, this is the very essence of a corrupt system, a false declaration and a false judgment. It's easy to imagine, isn't it? When, we, when you look at this, you and I, we've got to look at this and say, this is what a corrupt system, a corrupt group of people looks like. This is what corruption looks like, right? I, you know, I like you and I, I'd love to be able to say, oh, the people in my life, they're pretty good people. Right? And the, the families that I'm part of, the sports groups that I'm part of, the work that I'm part of, it's all pretty good. But if you take a look at it, do you see any of these things? There's, there is corruption, isn't there? Then there's the cause of this corruption. Did you notice in this section how we, we get the cause of corruption? Ahab, the story started, Ahab asked for the vineyard. Naboth said, no, that's all fine. And then you, you heard what Ahab went to do. Verse 4, Ahab went home sullen and angry. That word for angry is the word that the, the ancient people used to describe a storm. When there was a big storm, the storm, the weather was described as angry. There was a storm raging in Ahab's heart. A huge, ferocious storm. The Bible has another way to describe what happened to Ahab. It's called coveting. Coveting is when you and I want something that we can't have. You ever wanted something that you can't have? How does it make you feel when somebody tells you no? 
Ooh, makes me pretty unhappy, doesn't it? But that's what Ahab happened. He wanted something that he could not have. And he got frustrated. He got angry. He got depressed. And because of that, all the people around him were wrecked. You and I, we've been there too, haven't we? There have been times where you want something that you know you shouldn't have or you can't have. Man, doesn't that hurt other people when you want that thing? Sometimes you've got to just learn to say, no, I'm not going to want that thing because it will wreck other people's lives if I want it. That's the cause of corruption. And then, then you see the result, or as you might want to say it, the curse of corruption. Do you see how terrible this corruption is? In the lesson, we hear that the, the results of, of corruption, they're pretty bad. You can read about them in verses 20 to 22. The short story is that all of Ahab's family is going to end. Ahab's family is going to, to fall apart. It's going to crash apart. He's not going to have kids or great-grandkids or great-great-grandkids. But do you notice that? What does that mean? It means on the one hand, the, ca- the curse of corruption is personal. God didn't just look at this system. He didn't just look at Jezebel and the elders and say, it's a bad group of, of, of a bad system. Let's get rid of the system. He said, no, you have to bear the cost yourself. You have to carry this price right, for ruining people's lives. Ahab, you are going to come to an end and your family is going to come to an end. See, and that's the other part of this, that there is a system that God makes pay the price to. Because God looks at these people and he says, this dynasty, this whole family tree that you have, Ahab, it's all going to crash apart. It's all going to come to an end. Can you imagine how Ahab felt about that? How much that must have hurt his, his life? To watch his whole family and everything that he spent his life to build fall apart? Must have just crushed him. I know I've seen families fall apart. I've seen organizations fall apart. You have too, haven't you? And to see your life's work just collapse down? Man, it's devastating. But if there's one thing that tells us that corruption is is just wrong, it's not worth it, it ought to be the collapse of that family. It ought to be the collapse of that volunteer organization that we were part of. It ought to be the collapse of that city. tells us without a doubt that the corruption that we've been part of, the corruption we've seen, the corruption we allow to happen is just not worth it. And that's why we need the cure, the cure for corruption. And that's at the end. Did you notice something in this story? I I did. It it really kind of bugged me when it happened. That Ahab actually doesn't die. Did you hear in the story, right? So God tells Ahab he's going to die, and then Ahab doesn't die. And if you're like me, you're like, wait a second. That's not fair right? That's not right. It's not okay that Ahab gets off with it. You know, just the other week, we, my family and I, we went away for a weekend to, to see a, a baptism for my family. And before we went away, I, I suspected that somebody was going to come and mow the lawn while we were gone. And so I, I asked my kids to pick up the yard and make sure all the things were out of the yard. Well, we forgot the sprayer for the hose. 
You know, we use it to water the plants, right? The soaker, we left that sitting out in, in the middle of the yard. So I come home and I see this sprayer sitting in the yard. And you know what's happened to it because the mower ran over it? It's all chopped to pieces. Do you think how I feel about that? I'm like, what? This is not right. I told them to pick it up. I'm going to make all of them pay $5 a piece from every kid because they left the sprayer in the yard. Now, that would be justice, wouldn't it? It was their job to pick it up. They each left it behind. Five bucks a piece from all of them. And isn't that how you feel when you look at this story? Don't you and I feel like that? We ought to feel like that. You ought to look at this story and say, wait a second. God let Ahab live? Ahab ought to die. God let these scoundrels survive? They ought to go to prison for the rest of their life. God let those elders and those nobles stay in charge in that city? They ought to lose their position. Why does God let all these people get away with this crime? Most importantly, why does God let Ahab survive for the rest of his life? Why does God let Ahab repent? Maybe you noticed something like I did when you, when you heard this story. Because you think, Naboth, there's a man who's falsely accused. And he's not just falsely accused, perhaps, of murder or of stealing. What's he falsely accused of? He's falsely accused of blasphemy, isn't he? And, and, and he's got not just one, but two false witnesses who come against him. And, and he's not just accused of false witnesses in some other country. He's accused in his own city, in the capital city. And he's put to death. He doesn't just stand trial and get thrown in jail. He's put to death. And I think, you know, there was a better Naboth one day. A better Naboth one day who did not just die because he was falsely accused, but he died because each and every one of us has falsely accused him. There was a better Naboth one day because who did not just die because a city stood standing by, but because all of us stood standing by and let him die for us. There was a, a better Naboth one day who had an, a vineyard, his own vineyard that that did not just produce a great crop, but produced you and I and the fruits of faith. And that Naboth, of course, is Jesus. Naboth is a picture of Jesus, the Jesus who would come and not just die for King Ahab or evil Queen Jezebel, but would die for you and for me so that each and every one of us would not get the justice we deserve. God lets all of His justice fall on Jesus on that cross so that Ahab and Jezebel and all of Ahab's kids and eventually even you and me, we could get away with it for a little while. We could get away with it so that our sins would not get punished the way we deserve. Friends, that's the real cure for corruption. It's when Jesus, Jesus carries the cost of corruption then that brings out the cure for corruption. So let's practice real justice. You know, one of my favorite things here is I love it when people will call me or text me. This happens every now and then. And they'll say to me, Pastor, hey, who did such and such a thing around the church? Because I want to just write them a little thank you note. Or I want to call them and tell them thank you. 
or I want to uh, I want to reach out to them and say good job. You know, somebody comes and they they quietly clean up, they pick up and they vacuum all of the church, and then the other next day somebody says, "Hey, pastor, it was my job to vacuum this week," and, and somebody else did that. And I want to be able to call them and say thank you. Now you know that's justice, right? It's when people get what they deserve. They deserve a thank you. They should get that thank you. And so I want to tell you, well done, good job, way to make justice happen, even in this church in a small way. And friends, let's keep pursuing that justice. Because when you see that Jesus has paid the price, he has paid the cost to cure corruption, how can you and I not make this a just place Make this a place where people get what they should really get. Where they should really get the mercy and the forgiveness that God gives. Let's pursue that. Let's make this a place really of justice. That's the cure for corruption. Let's pray that we would be that place. Lord Jesus, thank you for not only paying the cost of, of corruption, but for giving us the real cure. For giving us yourself dying in our place so that all of the, the cost of corruption could be taken away and we could be people who really pursue justice in our lives. Forgive us for being making poor choices sometimes or setting up systems that allow other people to get taken advantage of, that, that cost them something. And let us be people who pursue justice in our own lives. Really make sure that people get what is right, what is fair, what is due them. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.